Welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast, where we tackle teaching challenges from a biblical perspective. Why are we here? Because we don't believe that our spiritual walk and teaching profession should exist in two separate domains. Rather, the hope we have in Christ should change how we approach everything, not just at home, but at school as well. So join us as we explore both the spiritual and practical sides of key teaching challenges, integrating them together so we can succeed at teaching, glorify God, and make a lasting difference in our students' hearts and lives. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation, but any views and opinions expressed in this episode are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Herzog Foundation. Well, Happy New Year. We are so excited to be back to continue this podcast series where we're sharing some of our best of the best, our favorites, our top picks from past summit sessions. And today I want to share with you a conversation with Alistair Begg on bravely teaching by faith. I hope this will encourage and inspire you as we head back to school in the coming days. Here we go. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Rise Up Summit. We're so glad to have you here. And we're here today with Alistair Begg um, to talk about how we as teachers and more importantly, as Christians, but as Christian teachers, how we can teach bravely by faith when there's so many things in the world around us that are scary and threatening and and uncomfortable. So, Alistair, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, So far, so good. (laughs) So far, so good. one, I don't know, maybe I don't know how many people know this, but you're actually my pastor at your church and I'm um, honored to be able to listen to you on a regular basis. And you've been saying so many things and they matched a lot with your book, um, newest book, Brave by Faith. And they've been really helpful for me personally in trying to work through so many of these issues. And I knew when I read your book, these concepts would be really helpful for teachers to understand too. Um, so when I saw your book and I saw the subtitle was God-Sized Confidence, in a post-Christian world. That line right there had so much in it that I found really, really helpful. So if you don't mind, I thought we could maybe talk start there. Um, can you start by talking about why do you call our society post-Christian? And why is that important to recognize that that's where we're at? Well, I think that the that the designation post-Christian is is a fairly common one. I mean, I, obviously, I didn't come up. I didn't right. come up. With it. I was just acknowledging uh, the, the the circumstances. I, I think just by observation that uh, the way in which uh, life was conducted, even back in uh, 1983 when I moved to America, this was a very different. Uh, that was a very different environment from now. Uh, for example. Um, the experience of my children in going to public school uh, would not have had the same peculiar elements that are present in in the circumstances now. And it's not simply that uh, there is a sort of uh, general sense of malaise or uh, an overwhelming sense of indifference, but that things have actually shifted whereby a certain, um, if you like, Christian ethical perspectives, apart from anything else, uh, haven't uh, simply been eroded, but they, they are fundamentally challenged at a most essential level. And so the last vestiges of being able to, you know, claim that we are a, a peculiarly Christian country, I think, uh, you know, the, 
they they left for the coast some time ago to go to you know they they took the last train for the coast <laughs> the day the music died but uh, um, you know I mean when I came you know you had Jerry Falwell and the and the moral majority as it was supposed to be then uh, now I think we have the immoral majority and so in that sense I think it shifted yeah I found that really helpful. Just, I know sometimes there's a tendency in certain circles to really want to cling to like, well, we're a Christian nation and I get all that. I get it. But I think when we try to cling to that, it's like, well, we're not recognizing where we are and it can, it can kind of cloud our thinking and make it harder to deal with the reality that's in front of us. Yeah. I think, I think just, and you don't have to go looking for it. I'm not, I'm not out to try and prove to everybody that we are that I'm sad that we are that. Yeah. you know, of course, it 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 it, it uh, you know it raises the question of whether we're ever really ever a Christian nation, and whether there is such a thing as a you know quote a Christian nation. That's uh, that um, in in realistic terms, there never has been. Yeah, yeah, right. It's more at a place now where we're able to recognize that we are alien, right? Rather than just we always were, but now it's a little more obvious. <laughs> I think we we live in now for the first time in a context where we suddenly start to feel like a minority, whereas that generally has not been the case. So as we become more and more alien, recognize that in this post-Christian world, there's a tendency then to feel fearful and like wonder what we should do. And that's where I love the first half of that subtitle, God-sized confidence. Can you talk about like what this means and what that looks like? Well, I think it first of all has to do with without us ever saying anything about an inner conviction. In as much as you know, Paul writes to Timothy in his you know in his swan song in his final letter, and he says to him, Timothy, I want you to continue in the things you have become convinced of, so that that sense of internal conviction about. Uh, who God is, about how God has made himself known, about how he speaks through his word. Uh, those, those foundational pieces uh, then have to be worked into the, the framework of, of our thinking at every level. The way, the way I receive a news bulletin, the way I read the newspaper, the way I read a novel, the way I watch a movie, so that it's not that I start from one starts from a position of, you know, judgment on the surrounding culture, but it is that we say, golly, I don't feel that way. Or why do I, why am I viewing it in this way? And I realize just how much um, my awareness of, of who God is and how God has made himself known permeates my view of everything, whether it is the view of education or the arts or science or, um, COVID, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot, most of the people listening right now are, are teachers and they're in public schools right. and in Christian schools, but in both cases, there's just like this onslaught. I feel like they're really on the front lines of where uh, there's many front lines, but definitely one of the front lines is, is in education and dealing with so many things, trying to wisely navigate areas where faith and culture clash like you know, for example, gender identity, social ethics, uh, critical race theory. Do you have any advice on like, how should we be 
approaching these areas. I don't mean we have to get into the specifics of those actual things, but like, how should we be prepared to engage and respond? Do we just ignore them? Do like, what advice would you have about that? Well, you know, if we think about how people have done it in the past, you know, one option is you run away and hide, you know, up a high hill somewhere and put your fingers in your ears and try and pretend that nothing's going on. Another way is that you dive into the middle of it and you become a sort of reconstructionist within the within this system and you, uh, you know, take on every challenge as it comes along. Uh, some people, I think, are perhaps uniquely gifted to try that second route. Some of us are far more tempted to circle the wagons and uh, retreat, sound retreat. And then the challenge for most of us is how do we do neither of those things? You know, how do I show up at school serving my headmaster or headmistress or whoever else it is, uh, showing up in time for work, um, doing an excellent job in teaching French or whatever it might be, uh, being prepared to respond to the questions that come my way and doing so in a way that does not cause me to um, either second guess my own convictions or squash them under the threat of opposition. It, you know, I, I'm very hesitant in giving out directives in relation to this because I don't know how well I would do as, as somebody in that environment. You know, I'd like to be, let's say I'm the soccer coach at, uh, you know, at a, a local high school, which I would like to be. Um, and now I am confronted by uh, somebody who wants to play on my team. Um, but in actual fact, uh, this is uh, someone who was born as a girl, and, and this is a male team. Now, what, what am I going to do in that situation? I, I, what am I allowed to do? What am I supposed to do? What do I need to do? Now, part of that is, is, it takes it way beyond who I am as a Christian. And so it's jolly difficult. And maybe you want me to give the answer and I'm only reinforcing the question. <laughs> I think, I think though, that the, the, the time to be prepared to jeopardize even our, even our position, even our employment for the sake of a conviction, I think that time has come. I think it has come. It's certainly come, I think, in the realm of corporate America. It's certainly come in the realm of, you know, professional sports. And again, it's easy for me as a pastor who hides, as it were, behind a pulpit, so to speak, uh, to speak concerning these things. But I really do think that there is a way to turn this tight, and that is by being brave. There are many, many people that are just waiting for somebody to stand up and say, put their hand up at a local meeting and say, well, actually, no. I don't believe that to be the right response. I don't believe that to be the case. And not to do it in a way that is is uh, judgmental or or just horrible, but to do it in a way that's skillful. I mean, we need we need people who are able to be uh, to disagree without being horribly disagreeable. And and I think by and large that some of us are really good at being disagreeable. 
And so we've lost any, any basis upon which to, uh, to really make a, to make a statement. But we do have to be prepared, I think, to say that some of this stuff is silly. I mean, some of this stuff is just, is just literally upside down. So we're in a position now where, you know, we move beyond, you know, my truth is more important than your truth. We're, we've moved to the position now where my feeling is more significant than your truth. So that what I feel about something is, is the final, uh, uh, you know, adjudicator on what is going on. You know, forget whether, whether uh, there are 12 inches in a, in a foot or not. I feel there are only eight inches in a foot. And so consequently, I am, uh, I am uh, five foot tall, although I'm only 40 inches high. Because for me, a foot is eight inches. Well, no, that's just downright silliness. And you better not be coming in to redo my kitchen cabinets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so in the moral realm, we've got to be prepared to do the same. In the ethical realm, why wouldn't we? I mean, there's right. 60, million, 60 million abortions. And you're, you're afraid to say, this is not a good idea. In fact, this is flat out bad. Well, then, okay, fine. No, we're going to have to be brave. We take a quick break to let you know that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation. The Herzog Foundation supports Christian education in a variety of ways, and I highly recommend checking them out. One thing in particular I want to recommend to you is looking at their trainings. They have free in-person trainings for both Christian school leaders and in some cases for teachers as well. These cover a variety of important topics like culture building, board leadership, marketing and enrollment, strategic planning, and so much more. Not only are the trainings free, but lodging and meals are often also covered by the Herzog Foundation. So please check these out and see if they're right for you in your school at herzogfoundation.com slash events. Now back to the program. I, I think that that word brave is just a really, a really helpful word. And I know it's it's easy for me to say too. I'm not in the classroom right now either. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I guess there's a, there's just a mix there of like wisdom and prayer. Do you have any thoughts on like how you, how to know when is the time to speak and when is the time to stay silent? I know you can't know, like obviously every situation is different. Do you have any like general <laughs> principles uh, or thoughts? Well, I mean, what we know from Ecclesiastes is that there is a time to be silent and a time to speak. Unfortunately, it doesn't tell us when the time you are. <laughs> That takes that takes wisdom, and that's where we need, you know, our friends and our spouses around us to say, "Hey, Alistair, I don't think this is the time," or we need somebody to say, "I think this is the time." And often, um, you know, I think my problem is, I, I, you know, you know, sometimes it's not what I say; it's the way I say it. It's not just even the timing of it; it's the it's the emphasis that one puts on it that may come across as just a spirit of of uh, arrogance or judgmentalism when that wasn't intended. And yeah, that's how it comes out. Uh, you know, I think where the battle rages, where the opportunity presents itself, you know, I'd be prepared to say certain things one-on-one -on -one to somebody that I wouldn't necessarily say to that person in like in uh, the coffee room of, of the high school where there are 12 teachers in there, um, you know, because you know, maybe we've earned the right 
over time to be able to say things to people. And sometimes I, I'm tempted to think that I just have the right without having earned the right. You know, do they know that I genuinely care for them? Do they know that I have listened carefully to their perspective? Do they know that I recognize that there is a logic to what they're saying, albeit that it comes from, from a different starting point? Um, because there's a vast difference between a time plus matter plus chance and a, a creator who fashioned us individually and who has actually established our DNA. So, you know, you got a clash of, of huge proportions between those two perspectives and everything that, that, that falls down in, into that uh, is, is significant. Yeah, definitely. I think it's important for us to keep in mind that it's just, these are logical conclusions if you start here. Right. <laughs> but the premise just creates all this mess. Well, that's yeah. right. That's, that's where we've got it. We've got to understand where people are starting from to be able to say, you know, I say to my friends, I say to my homosexual friends, I, you're going to have to be, I want you to be kind to me. I want, I want you to be, I want you to, to, to help me. And they always say, what do you mean? I say, well, I am really, I got a real problem because I actually happen to believe that the Bible is God's word and I'm stuck with it. And I'm not allowed to change it. So I want you to know that the starting point for me is I didn't invent this notion because of a sense of animosity that I feel or whatever it might be. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with this the same way that I'm stuck with the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. So that my Jewish next door neighbor who wants me to be uh, a Unitarian because that way we'll be closer to one another than if I'm a Jesus follower, because he says that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And I say, Jesus was the Messiah and we can both be right. So uh, the notion of tolerance is not agreeing that we're both right. It is agreeing that we disagree and do it in such a way that we can still talk to one another over the garden fence. Yes. You just hit on something there that, I wasn't planning to talk about, but I think it's so important just that we as Christians maybe need to model because <laughs> we're not seeing it from societies, the ability to talk, the ability to disagree without just running complete opposite direction of someone and saying, I can have nothing to do with that. Um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts about that? <laughs> yeah, well, I do, because th there's really that the opportunity for dialogue in the, pub in the public arena, it seems to be almost gone, you know, so that the idea of, silencing people, silencing the opportunity to do exactly what you're mentioning. The idea of saying, this is, this is the position that I hold. Tell me about the position you hold. And is there any, is there any common ground between us apart from the fact that we both hold positions? But when, when the opportunity to actually uh, interact with one another in a, in a constructive fashion goes, then all you have left is just shouting and we will just shout at each other and, and just, uh, I can shout louder than you. And, and, and the, the present political climate is, is both alarming and fascinating in that, in that regard. I mean, you're too young to remember, you know, Ryan O'Neill, you know, hanging out, uh, Ryan, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan hanging out with Tip O'Neill. Uh, you know, they're diametrically opposed as a Democrat and a Republican, but they were actually within that framework friends to some degree and we're able to carry on conversations. 
There is no way in the world right now that you can imagine some of those things <laughs> happening in, in, the, in the present climate because of the collapse of truth, because of the collapse of any um, objective standard that is outside of ourselves to, to which and actually ultimately to whom we, we, we are accountable. And that brings us just back to kind of where we started, where that, that God confidence, and I just loved in your book and in your preaching, you bring us back over and over to God. It's not, I'm not confident in my ability. I'm not confident in, I can win this argument or, or any, it's, can you talk just for a little bit for maybe those that haven't thought this through, like why it's so important that that's where our confidence is and just how that changes everything by having our confidence in God rather than just our eyes all over on the mess that's swirling around us. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of an old book by uh, the late J.I. Packer. He wrote a book called Knowing God, which um, is, has a wonderful beginning. His introduction reads like, uh, as all clowns yearn to play Hamlet, so I have longed to write a treatise on God which is just so good. And uh, he, uh, he just unpacks the very question that, that he, he, he explicates for us why it is important, as you say, to know God not as a construct, not as an idea. And, and, and to know God, I mean, if you say to people, do you believe in God? They may say yes. Then you have to say, well, what, is, what does G-O-D spell? And so when, when the Christian starts from that position we're we're not starting with a god that we have discovered or that a god that is contained in creation a god that we find by looking within ourselves which is a very contemporary view of spirituality um, both in terms of the created order and in terms of new age religion new age religion is essentially saying if you know all the trouble is outside of you if you look inside yourself you'll be fine the Bible actually says the reverse of that. It says you, most of your trouble is inside of you and you look outside of yourself. So now, so we're talking about God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not, we're not just talking about God as an idea. We're talking about this God who has created the universe, who has stepped down into time, and who has uh, manifested his love towards us, even though we have shown a disinterest in him. We've rebelled against him. We want to champion our own destiny and so on. This is, this is the God who is pursuing us because he loves us, because he made us for a relationship with himself. This is an amazing, this is the, the hounds of heaven, you know, that are, are coming, coming for us out of a sense of love. When we have that notion or when we have a, a deep-seated conviction about that, that we feel that we have been that we have been sought out, wooed, and loved by God, and that this same God is, is doing that for other people, then suddenly we, we realize that we are like little signposts uh, along the journey of life for people. They, 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 they meet us and, and we say to them, have you, have you looked here? Have you considered there? Have you ever wondered, did, did you ever try and read uh, uh, the Gospel of Mark, you know, or, or whatever it might be? But if we don't have that awareness of God, then we, all that we may be left with is a sort of externalized form of religion, which is, which is moralism, which is, uh, you know, a sort of righteousness by uh, self-endeavor, 
And that is what a lot of people have in mind when they think about what we're saying. You know, pull your socks up, do your best. Uh, you're a lot better of a, a person than you get credit for and so on. And so it's very man-centered as opposed to God-centered. And, and, and that's the world we live in. We, we, we have been born at a time where our world, Western culture, is, is consumed with big thoughts of the self and small thoughts of God. And so we're able to say, you know, God has made himself known in, in the beauty of the world. and He's made himself known in his word. He's made himself known in his son. Have you ever considered that? Yeah. Thank you for sharing sharing those thoughts. It's really helpful. The last chapter in your book, Great by Faith, is called Take Heart, God Wins. Can you share just a little bit, like, why is it so important to keep this big picture perspective in mind? I know I've been reading the prophets and that it's just really helpful. How should this impact our day-to-day living, just keeping eternity and the end in mind? Well, you know, I... I was with somebody the other day and said he was going to run. He's going to run as a, for one of the Senate positions. And another man was at the table and he said to the man, what is your end game? What is your end game? I mean, do you want to be the president? Well, he said, no, because I was born outside the United States. So the man said, okay, you can't be the president. So what's your end game? I mean, just become a senator. You're going to go up there and sit with all those people. It was, it was a fascinating conversation. <laughs> And it just struck me again, you know, that that we're working, we've got to deal with, we've got to understand how this thing, how this story ends, so that we so that we can position ourselves in in relationship to that. And and the wonder, the wonder of it is that the message of the message of Christianity is that that God has brought forward into time the execution of his judgment. Judging the sins of men and women in the person of his son. Dealing then with our rebellion, dealing with our death, dealing with our destiny. So that we are set free from the things that hold us trapped in fear. And the ultimate fear is the fear of death. So I, again, I was talking with somebody the other morning and I said, you know, you've made provision. You've got a, you've got a 401 thing or whatever you call those things. You, you've got an insurance policy out of the Yazoos. You've got everything. I said, but if you actually prepared for the possibility of, of meeting God, the fellow said, no. I said, well, doesn't that strike you as a little bit strange? I mean, why, you, you've got everything else in place except the one meeting that you're going to have. Now, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the security of the Christian. For example, Daniel, which is why we, why we did the book, Daniel is saying to the people in his day who appear, who, who, have, who have decided the whole thing is upside down. It's flipped. We're done. There's no way forward. He's saying, no, no, no. You've got to understand that, that the God who has sustained me and my friends in this situation is the God who has decided uh, to bring to completion his plan from all of eternity. And so, you know, I was speaking to somebody earlier today and, and, and saying to them, one of the things that, we, that is so helpful for us to understand is the fact that God has not gone on vacation, that, 
that the events of life have not taken him by surprise, that somehow or another he's looking down and saying, oh, goodness gracious, what am I going to do now? That the, that the story of the Bible is not something that God came up with in a moment in time to fix a flaw in the system, but that God's plan from the very beginning of the Bible was actually Jesus on the cross and not Adam and Eve in a garden. And so that the, the ultimate end game is that there will be a company that no one can number from every tribe, nation, people, language, and so on. And the, 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 the challenge that is entrusted to us is to be seeking to encourage as many people as we possibly can to consider those claims in order that they might be included uh, in that company. The one thing I want to say, though, is that, Linda, I don't like, I don't like the Christian perspective that sounds like, you know, like, na 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 you know, God, God wins in the end, tough for you guys. No, that's, that's not, no, no, that's, we don't want any of that. What that, what that is, is a bastion for the souls of beleaguered God followers. Not, not a banner that we walk around the high street with saying God wins. No, the banner that we walk around with is that God loved you enough to send his son for you. Yes. And as teachers, it's such a privilege to be able to share that where we, where we can. I know we talk with teachers a lot. It looks very different in public schools versus Christian schools, but you talked about how there's these opportunities, you know, speaking when we can being an example, being that maybe first Christian someone knows, just so many opportunities. Yeah, Christ, teachers can make you and break you. That's my experience, you know, because, you know, I had some I had some unbelievably good teachers and I had some others, you know, I mean, in Scotland, in the, I mean, Scotland in the 50s and 60s, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't get away with this stuff now that's, that, that happened then. And, and, you know, you had to have a pretty solid self-esteem just to make it through some of those classes as a child. And yet, on the other hand, you had these teachers who so clearly were gifted and so clearly cared. And they they have marked my life indelibly. I mean, indelibly. Um, and so, yeah, I could never have been a teacher because I was so glad finally to get out of school for the last time that the thought of going back in again, even on the other side of the desk, was like, no, I don't think so. I'm, uh, no, I don't think I can do that. But I'm so grateful for those who do. And I want to be supportive of them in, in, every, in every way I can, public school, Christian school, whatever school I um, so strength to their arms. I hope these rambling comments will at least add a touch of a pinch of something. Yeah. I feel like it's been really helpful as we finish up. Do you have any final words of advice or encouragement for Christian teachers that are just trying to live out their faith and be a light, you know, wherever they are? Yeah. You know, I think, I think I would say a couple of things, you know, one is don't, don't underestimate the ability of your students to parse what it is you're saying. Mm -hmm. they, they, they are a lot brighter than we often give them credit for. They can, they can see through a phony and, and, and they, their, their hearts and minds will register sincerity. 
And so, you know, a job well done and a genuine sense of care. You know, in Greek, there are a couple of words for good. You know, there is the word, uh, there's the word agathos, uh, which is, which means intrinsically good. And there's the word kalos, which, which means good, but good in a beautiful way. And so, you know, all teachers are good. Agathos, I mean, they got to teach you math. It's good to know math. You've got to know that these things. But what is that X dimension that comes, you know, where it's done, not just Agathos, but Kalos? And that's where the Christian teacher ought to be able to shine. And that's where the Christian teacher will find himself on the receiving end of, of the questions. They may come in the high street. They may come two years later. They may not come at all, but they ought to be clear that as their light shines, uh, people will people will detect that. It may cause them to recoil or it may may attract them, but they won't they won't miss it. So yeah, be yourself and forget yourself. Don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> wow, that's that's so helpful. It really brings everything full circle to what what this event is about, which is about equipping you to be an excellent teacher and then equipping you with to take that relationship capital you've built and use it to be a light. So thank you so much for sharing this. We really found it helpful. Would you mind closing us out in just a prayer for the teachers that are listening? Sure. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk together now. Thank you that um, the impact of uh, teachers on all of our lives has proved to be so crucial. And uh, so I just pray that uh, those who have had to uh, get up again and go back and face the challenge of uh, sometimes the the disinterest of the students, that you will help them not to be weary in well-doing, help them to keep their spiritual ser- fervor, uh, remind them as we remind ourselves uh, that we are serving you, that we're serving the Lord, and uh, strengthen and equip them in every way, uh, save them from faint-heartedness and, and weariness. And may the joy of the Lord be their strength. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And Amen. for those of you listening, make sure um, Alistair Biggs' teaching is available on truthforlife.org. Found, I've found very helpful to me. And if you're looking for um, some resources, there's many things there. Thank you again so much. Thank you. I do hope that you found this conversation helpful and encouraging. If you'd like to share it with a friend or access any of the notes and links um, that are related to this episode, you can head to teachfortheheart.com slash best, teachfortheheart.com slash best um, to see all of the notes and information from this podcast series. I also want to recommend to you a program called Teach Uplifted. Teach Uplifted is a six-week program that's a combination of a devotional and then practical uh, practical applications to teaching where we help you to renew your passion for teaching by finding joy and peace in Christ. If you've been struggling with anxiety or frustration related to teaching and you kind of could use that boost um, heading back for this, you know, finishing out this school year, there's a long way to go. Um, We'd highly recommend Teach Uplifted and love to see you join us in that. So to get more info, head to teachuplifted.com. And for if you're listening to this right when it goes live, you can use the promo code UPLIFT2024 uh, to save $20 on your enrollment. So UPLIFT2024. If you check it out and then join us right away, um, we'd love to offer you that special discount. 
Well, once again, this podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Herzog Foundation. I can't wait to join you again next week for our last episode of this series. We're going to talk about sharing how to save time with grading, lesson planning, and paperwork. This was a fun conversation with our Teach for the Heart team where we all got together and shared our top tips for saving time. So hope you will join us again next week for that. In the meantime, teacher, remember God is at work in you and through you, and he's using you to make a difference. Keep your eyes on him and teach for the heart. 